When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Good morning. Welcome to the Captain's Run. Julian DeStoot filling in for Kane Corns is on a much-needed uh, couple of weeks break after a very long footy season and also a very busy trade period uh, for Kane. So I hope he's having a good time uh, with his family, having a well-deserved break. Big show coming up this morning. We're going to talk a lot about uh, the state of footy, obviously off the back of the rule changes that were announced by uh, the AFL on Wednesday. Going to have a look at this from a couple of uh, different angles and love to get your calls, particularly some younger fans of the game, a lot of the people making decisions on uh, football and the rules and the, and the direction we want the game to go are 40s and they're in their 50s. But be really interested to hear uh, from people that are a bit younger. Do you like the game? Uh, do you just want to see it say the same? Or do you actually watch games from the 90s and early 2000s, which a lot of people think was the best period of football and you like it? And you'd like to see the, the game head back. So I'd love to hear from some younger people. Uh, give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six, or on the temper text line, 0433 But we'll speak, uh, so there's a couple of different angles we'll approach this. So we'll speak to uh, Brendan McCartney, of course, the former Western Bulldogs coach, uh, a very highly rated assistant at Geelong, uh, Essendon, Richmond, Melbourne, now coaching uh, North Ballarat uh, next year, back at local footy where he cut his teeth. Just to get his thoughts on given someone that's been in the game, uh, been coaching the game recently, just his thoughts on, on where the game is, uh, where we'd like to get the game to, and whether or not some of these, uh, you know, tinkering to the rules that we've made for next year uh, will make any difference. But before that, around 10 o'clock, we're going to speak to Frankston VFL coach Danny Ryan. So obviously uh, the new rules uh, with the zoning at VFL level is going to have a big impact on the VFL. I've heard Mark Williams, the Werribee coach, say there was absolutely no consultation uh, from him in terms of these rules. So it's a, it's a big rule adjustment for the VFL. So we'll speak to Danny about that and just how he's going to coach that and uh, what sort of impact he expects that will have uh, at the VFL level. Obviously, a big day yesterday, the NBA draft, a great day uh, for Australia with Josh Green uh, being drafted by the Dallas Mavericks. We'll speak to Olgan Ulich from ESPN uh, about the NBA draft. Now, of course, speaking of drafts, the uh, national draft uh, announced yesterday that it will be a virtual event uh, on December 9, uh, we'll speak to one of the really highly rated midfielders uh, in this draft, a man that's expected to go in the top 10, Will Phillips, uh, from the Oakley Chargers. We'll speak to Will as well. And, of course, the summer of tennis is, uh, well, it's a bit up in the air at the moment. We're going to get an Australian Open, but will it start on time? Uh, what's going to happen with the quarantine after the Victorian government announced the players won't be able to arrive until January? What does that mean uh, for any potential lead-up tournaments. We'll speak to Nicole Bradkey about the summer of tennis coming up and just how she expects it, uh, it will all fall. Another thing I want to do this morning, of course, not too far away from Christmas, and the kids will be riding to Santa uh, very shortly. But I want to know, if you're riding to Santa, what's your wish list for your footy club next year? Now, I'm not talking about, I want my team to win the premiership or I want my favourite player to win the Brownlow medal. 
things that are a little bit more specific. So I'll give you a couple of examples and to get you thinking and love to hear your calls uh, throughout the morning. So, for example, if you're a Collingwood fan, do you just want a quiet year, no off-field scandals, or do you want to rock up in January next year, go and watch them train? You want to see Jordan Degoe just look like Christian Petrarca did last year, come back uh, fit as a fiddle. If you're the Bombers, they go into the draft with picks six, seven, and eight. Do you want... Something like we saw from Port Adelaide uh, a couple of years ago when they got Butters, Rosie uh, and Dersma. If you're a Brisbane Lions fan, and maybe it's a fit and firing uh, Joe Danaher. If you're a Demons fan, maybe it's uh, new contracts uh, for Clayton Oliver and Christian Petrucker. If you're a Sydney fan and probably an AFL fan in general, you want to see Buddy Franklin back out there fit and firing uh, and playing good footy. Or it might be a player that you just want to see get a run from injury or a player that... You know, 12 months ago, Essendon people were hoping Jordan Ridley would get more of a chance. And look what happened this year. Played every game and won the best and fairest. So keen to get your thoughts on that. one 736 Of course, the temper text line, 433 uh, uh, Got a couple of calls already, which is great. Uh, Josh in Melbourne. Welcome, Josh. Hi, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Uh, yeah, I just want to talk about watching the old 80s, 90s games. Yeah. Because... You mentioned it, and yeah, I thought because in quarantine I've been watching them on KO, and I just find them more interesting to watch than today's modern game. What, what, in what way? Why do you think it's more enjoyable when you watch those games? I don't know. The ball movements is faster. It's just like high scoring. You know, I think it's just more enjoyable to watch. It's a bit tougher as well. Do you think so? So you'd like to see it get? I don't think we'll ever quite get back to the way it was. Uh, Back then, just with the coaching and, and the, the, the amount of coaches we've got in the defensive side of the game. But uh, do you think some of these rule changes that have been brought in will work? Uh, and would you like to see zoning in the game or, or is that something you wouldn't like to see? Um, I wouldn't mind it. I mean, I just prefer if the game just stayed the same as if, you know, didn't really... Because some of the rule changes I found a bit ridiculous, like in... If you deliberately rush the ball for a behind, there's no punishment for it. But if you deliberately rush the ball out of bounds, then it's a free kick. I don't see how that one works. But, yeah, I don't know. I just really just want the rules to stay the same. But zoning, yeah, I'm not really fussed about it. Beautiful. Thanks for your call, Josh. Yeah, it's interesting to get what young people's thoughts are. I've got a feeling we'll get a bit of a we'll get a bit of both. Some people love the way the modern game is played, and that that's the way they've grown up, and, and they don't know any different. But interesting to get a young person's perspective like Josh. Um that uh, he does like the footy from the 90s or the early 2000s, as we said before. I think that's when a lot of people enjoyed the game uh, at its most. Let's go to Tom in Seaford. G'day, Tom. Oh, g'day, Julian. Great to have you on here. Thank Hope you. Enjoy the day. Will do. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping uh, the Santa will bestow on the pies. Uh, will Kelly or someone to step up to be uh, a, a, a key forward from within? We couldn't get one from without, but you never know who could bob up. And I'll tell you what, that would ease some of the headaches. So I don't know if Santa can deliver that, but it would be a welcome uh, present for Bucks to pull the ribbon off. Absolutely. He looked pretty good in his debut, didn't he, Will Kelly, before, unfortunately, uh, he went down uh, with a very nasty injury. But, yeah, he certainly looks like a Ford of the future for Collingwood, and I'm sure uh, he'll get plenty of opportunities uh, next year. Thanks for your call, Tom. Let's go to Stuart on the road. G'day, Stuart. How you going, fellas? Good, thank you. Um... Two things, I guess, quickly. As a Carlton supporter, my Christmas stocking would be uh, Charlie Kerno to get himself right and, and have some sustained time on the park. And I guess, quickly, the other things with the new rules, 
the rules in the AFL seem designed to bust zones and stop them from zoning up properly, but the rule, the um, zoning rule in the VFL seems designed to, well, they're going to milk it and just give everyone more time to zone up again. Aren't they sort of working against each other? Yeah, it's going to be interesting how the zoning works. Uh, Rob Harding was on drive yesterday and he, he sort of went through the figures and, you know, about 60% of the ball is won through turnover and only about 20% of the ball is won at stoppages. So if, if we're bringing in zones just for stoppages, that's not really going to solve uh, the problem. So it'll be interesting to get Brendan McCartney's take on that and also Danny Ryan, the Frankston coach, uh, when he joins us uh, a little bit later. Yeah, I think all Carlton fans would absolutely agree with you that they want to see Charlie Curnow uh, back out there. They're hopeful he'll be back training after Christmas and uh, I think all footy fans want to see Charlie Curnow back out there. He's a young exciting player and even if you don't like the Blues too much, I think you want to see Charlie back out there. Thanks for your call, Stuart. Let's go to Gary in St Kilda. G'day, Gary. Uh, morning. Yeah, thanks for taking the call. Uh, the two highest paid players at St Kilda, um, Hanelby, I think he's on about you know 800 grand a year. I'd really like him to have an injury free season. He hasn't had one yet since he's been at the Saints. And uh, Mr. Brad Hill, who's on about 900 grand a year, it'd be really nice if he could win his own ball. Yeah, interesting call. Yeah, absolutely. I think Dan Hanabry was playing some good footy early this season, wasn't he, until he got that injury and obviously came back and, and played in the finals. Look, I think most people in footy are confident Brad Hill will bounce back and play some pretty good footy this year. I think he would be one that was really happy to see that we haven't got a definitive yet, but there's a good chance the quarters will go back to 20 minutes plus time on that. That's one of his real strengths. He's gut running and uh, not many players can run with him over four quarters. So the shortened games this year uh, for Brad Hill probably didn't help. And also the fact, you know, he didn't play many games uh, at Marvel stadium, that fast deck there will certainly suit him. So if I was a Saints fan, I'd be pretty confident uh, that you'll get some better footy out of Brad Hill. Certainly it was a disappointing first year for him, not finishing in the top 10 uh, of the Saints' uh, best and fairest. But I think he'll bounce back uh, pretty strongly next year. Thank you, Gary. Let's go to Andy on the road. Get Andy. Hey, Jules. Nice to have a sane voice on Friday morning. <laughs> How you going? Good, mate. Um, yeah, I don't follow St Kilda, but Brad Hill's a jet. He doesn't need to win his own ball. He needs to be given the ball on the wing and just run. Um, but the reason why I called, I think KB, and he was part of the original rules committee, and look, I think high scoring is just for simpletons. He um, he noted that there was a 144 points to 137 game in round one of 2004, but the other seven games, there was only one that wasn't a 30 or 40 point um, plus win to one of the teams. So, you know, no one wants to see... A couple of the scores were like 158 to 62, 107 to 60, 149 to 74. That's boring. That's over by halfway through the second quarter. So I think, uh, look, for Christmas, maybe we just disband the uh, the rules committee totally. I'd, I'd like that. <laughs> I think a few people think that, Andy. It's interesting what you say. I mean, because a, a high-scoring game of footy is not necessarily a really good game of footy. If you look at some of the really good games that we hold up as, you know, some of the best games of recent times, I mean, everyone goes back to that 2009 home and away game between St Kilda uh, and Geelong at Marble Stadium, which was arguably the best home and away game we've ever seen, two unbeaten sides halfway through the year. And that was about 14 goals to 12. If you look at some of the really good grand finals in recent times, for example, you know, go back a couple of years, Collingwood West Coast, that wasn't a high-scoring game. Uh, Same with, say, Hawthorne and Sydney in 2000. 2012, which has been one of the better grand finals we've seen. So 
it doesn't necessarily have to be high scoring. It's more the look of the game. And I think we'd like to see some more uh, one-on-one contests. But, yeah, I don't think necessarily suddenly teams kicking 120, 130 points a week suddenly means it's going to be a good game. And the AFL said that. That's not the, de- that's not the design of these rules to suddenly see scoring uh, go through the roof. If people expect that's going to happen, uh, that won't happen. It's more about the look of the game, spreading the game out, and uh, just not seeing the congestion that we see uh, around the footy. So I think that's a really good point. Uh, Andy, let's go to Adam in Keelor. Get to Adam. Hi. Uh, thanks for talking about this because this is something that I have been going on about for a long time. Because my biggest thing with the rules is that pe- they're looking at it the wrong way. If these people want it to go back to what it was in the early 90s and the 80s, but w- they forget the fact that back then it wasn't a professional sport. You know, they train three times a week. You know, they're not sending their coaches off to America to check all the different strategies that other codes are doing to try and score, try and defend. Everything has become so much more sophisticated. So thinking that, oh, if we don't put, if we pull the uh, interchange back to practically nothing, everyone's going to start playing positions again is ludicrous because they're not looking at it the right way. If you're a team that knows the other team is fitter than you. You're not going to just accept it by just playing everyone position. You'll start sliding back. You'll start playing it like soccer. Like soccer has the least amount of interchanges and, you know, teams play counter-attacking football so that, you know, they don't get scored against and they might get that one opportunity. What you'll see is teams will become more defensive because they forget the game has changed. The game has evolved. You know, basketball, you know, a little bit of a history lesson, basketball have this problem where everyone would crowd around the hoop, so they had to put the three-point line in. They had to put the 24-second shot clock. So if you really want high scoring or something, I'm not advocating for that kind of stuff, but you're going to have to do changes outside the realm of what we've seen. And, um, yeah, and high scoring is only good if your team's not playing. If your team's playing, (laughs) then you don't want high scoring. If Port Adelaide was to get beaten by 120 to 110, I'd be thinking, what were they doing with their back line that, that game? So high scoring is only good if you're the neutral. Yeah, that's, that's a really good call. And uh, obviously it's interesting because it, most premiership teams are top four defence, but they're also top four attacks. So obviously there's a big focus in, uh, in defence these days, but certainly you don't win many flags. I don't think the Bulldogs are an outrider in 2016 when they were about 10th for attack. But uh, generally your top four defence, top four attack. Adam, how, how old are you? Just interesting Interesting. I'm, I'm 32, just about oh, you sound, 33. You sound, you sound younger than that. Uh, so what about this idea? Rob Harding threw this up yesterday, and it's been thrown up before. Would you like to see a bonus point system where if you get to 100 points, you get a bonus point? Look, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I, I think that, you know, in the game, um, you know, I'm a, as a Port Adelaide supporter, I remember Stewie Jew, like, bombing it from – like outside 50 and, and things like that. And, you know, people talk about nine points and, and bonus points and all the rest. So I don't particularly think that that's a great idea. But also, you know, what we're trying to stop is like, team, like we, we, you've got to work out what you want teams to stop doing. And one thing is like trying to stop them going for a stoppage. So like in, in, in SANFL football, they brought the... Um, last touch out of bounds, which I wasn't very keen on. But when I saw it being played, people just went straight down the corridor. So just, you know, is there other things like that that you can bring into it? It promotes the fact that, you know, 
get the ball down the corridor. Don't play to get a throw in. You know, don't put heaps of people around the ball so you can just get another repeat stoppage. It's like, where I, I think they haven't quite hit on what the actual issue is. They think we just need more scoring, but that's, you know, you know what's that? Like, you, you can't you can't legislate for that kind of thing. So, I just think that they've got to look at the tactics that they're trying to. The, the things that teams do that they don't want to get. And you hit on a good point there. And I think this is where people should remember is if you're a good team, you score. You know, if you're a good team who wants to win a premiership, you score. And um, and if the Crows had won a few years ago, I think we'd see a lot more attacking game because that's basically what they did. They, they, they scored and they scored at a very high level. And so if you're a bad team, you're not going to score. Um, so, yeah, I think as long as that's still the trend and we're not getting ultra-defensive teams winning the premiership, uh, I think, you know, there's always going to be that, uh, you know, that want to score. That's some really interesting points uh, that you make, Adam. Yeah, the, the, the last touch rule, I think it's one sort of you, you first hear it and you think you wouldn't like to see that, and personally I wouldn't. But uh, as you say, it, it, it does get used in the SANFL. I know that the zoning rules have been used in the Colts competition in WA um, for the last three years and uh, with sort of conflicting ideas, whether it's good uh, or not. But uh, thanks so much for your call, Adam. I think the rules committee could do with you. You've got some very, very good suggestions there. Uh, Andrew, Bart, Peter and John, hang on. I'll get to you after the break. Uh, you're listening to the captain's run. Welcome back to the Captain's Run. Julian DeStoop filling in for Kane Corns, who's having a, a much-needed break uh, for a couple of weeks after a big uh, footy season. We'll get back to the callers uh, very shortly, but just on the temper text machine, uh, on the back of what we were discussing uh, before the break, particularly about bonus points, bonus points will do nothing. You can't just decide to go out and kick 100 points. Your opponent's defence is what determines how much you score. Every team is scoring as much as they can. And on another topic that the boys on breakfast, David King and Jack Heaven, really spoke about today was the new North Melbourne uh, coaching position. We know it's down to three. Daniel G and Syracuse, Rob ha- Robert Harvey, and also David Noble, with David Noble uh, at this stage appearing to be the favourite to get that gig. Uh, Julian, please tell me why North Melbourne are not looking at Mark Williams. Develops juniors, ex- ex- example, Dustin Martin, premiership coach, and would sell the club like Kevin Sheedy does. Be brave to go get him north. Best candidate by a mile. That is from Darren. Well, unfortunately, he didn't make the final three. I'm not even sure that they even touch base uh, with Mark Williams. And that's been one of the arguments that maybe they should have spoken to people like Gary Ayres and Andy Collins. They've got great uh, records uh, in the VFL, but uh, the three candidates, all very different, a first-time coach or two first-time coaches, but Robert Harvey, uh, someone that's been in the system for a long time, uh, has gone for a few jobs over the years. And also David Noble, more out of the Chris Fagan uh, pathway, even though he did coach Glenelg uh, back in the 90s. So expecting a decision uh, in the next few days uh, from North Melbourne. Also, a- another quick one, uh, Clay Thompson from the Golden State Warriors, ruled out for the rest of the season after doing his Achilles tendon uh, at uh, at a preseason scrimmage uh, over there in the NBA, so it got me thinking. Any uh, preseason injuries that uh, have really uh, upset you uh, with your AFL team over the years? We had a caller before talking about they hope Charlie Kerno gets back out there ASAP, and there's nothing worse uh, than you. T- I mean, you don't want a serious injury at any time, but uh, when they don't even get out there and they do it in the summer, from an AFL point of view, there is nothing more frustrating and heartbreaking for your footy team. So, any thoughts there? Give us a call one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Let's go back to the phones. And Andrew is from Nidri. Get Andrew. 
Okay, Jules. Uh, well, Neil Danner is the biggest Essendon uh, disaster ever, I think. And then you go back to John Coleman. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're the two outstanding players um, Essendon uh, basically lost. But my, I've got my wish list for Essendon um, and my Christmas wish list. I'm not greedy, but this is what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the upcoming draft, we go we go for the best aggressive extroverted talent within the within the draft. That's number one. We get three golden tickets for the year, and that we belt Collingwood and Anzac Day, <laughs> and we belt Richmond and Drew Time, and the grudge match against Carlton. We have a record score. We kick against them, and so we belt them out of the park. And we have a breakout season for Francis Laverde, Mosquito, Cohill, Ham, and Jones. Mark Williams becomes the football manager at Essendon. And we make the eight and win two finals um, games, and and that's my wish list. I thought, well, if you're being greedy, don't win two finals. Let's let's win three. Let's win four. Why, why not? If you're going to get there, you might as well make the most of it, Andrew. Well, I want to. I, I just want to build up. Uh, well, yes, but I don't want to be uh, accused of being um, uh, over enthusiastic about Essendon. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just keeping the lid on that. So when we get the two finals under the under the belt, then uh, maybe we can wish for three. Uh, love your work, Andrew. Thanks for your call. Remember Michael Long, the year after he did the Norm Smith, did a knee injury in a pre-season game in Perth. That one was pretty devastating uh, at the time as well. Let's go to Bart in Donvale. G'day, Bart. Hey, Julian. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, um, about the game, I mean, I think I'm a bit like uh, Mason Cox. Just Let's just not have any rule changes for a while, do we can't really take anything out of two, out of this season because it was so different to any other. Um, to me, I think holding the ball is the one that will open the game up. I think players are given too much time to get rid of it. The ones standing on the mark that they're bringing in for next year, I can see a lot of 50-metre penalties going, and that'll be the first talking point of next footy season is that rule, that there's going to be that many 50 yeah. metre penalties given away that people are going to be up in arms. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I agree that that'll be red hot, that new rule. And a lot of people say leave the game alone, and uh, that's been a suggestion from Mason Cox. As you mentioned, we've got to get to the news. Uh, and Meredith Gibbs, uh, after the break, uh, stick with us. Peter, John, and Ben will uh, will take your calls as well. We'll get more Christmas wish lists for your footy club, more thoughts uh, on the state of the game and any devastating uh, off-season injuries your footy club. But here's Meredith Gibbs. Thank you very much, uh, Meredith. We'll get back to the phones in a minute. Uh, Peter, John and Ben, this is Julian DeStoop on the captain's run, filling in for Kane Corns. Just a reminder what's coming up on the show. Uh, Frankston VFL coach uh, Danny Ryan, Nicole Bradke, to talk about the summer of tennis and just how it will play out with the Australian Open and all the rules around quarantine that was announced by the Victorian government earlier this week. Uh, likely top 10 draftee Will Phillips. Brendan McCartney, uh, the former Western Bulldogs coach on the state of the game, uh, JDS's quiz. Oh, Kane Corns has uh, handed it over already. That's uh, very generous. And obviously a big day in the NBA draft yesterday. And obviously that news we just spoke about before that Clay Thompson, one of the stars from the Golden State Warriors, uh, ruptured his Achilles tendon at training in the last couple of days. Olgan Ulich from ESPN will join us a little bit later uh, to talk about the NBA draft. Just a couple off the temper text and uh, keep sending your text through. Uh, Tom Mitchell, when he broke his leg, was hard to swallow. That's obviously from a Hawks fan. Uh, Oh, this is going to stir them up. Obviously a Bombers supporter. My wish list is November next year. The Bombers get Paddy Cripps from the Blues. 
Oh, what a joy that would be. Chris from South Australia. Uh, not sure that's going to happen. I think Paddy will sign uh, again at Carlton, but he'd be a pretty handy addition for the Bombers. And one on the bonus point. The bonus point only works if the target score is variable from ground to ground. 100 points in Tassie is different to 109 points at Marvel. It's a flawed concept from Paul. It's interesting because everyone just thinks it's naturally a high-scoring game at Marvel Stadium, but... Uh, the, the numbers don't suggest that. It's actually very similar scoring at Marvel uh, under the roof as it is to any other ground ac- across the competition. So I understand, Paul, why you think that off the top of your head, but the numbers uh, don't actually support that. Keep your temper text coming through, 0433-981116. Give us a call on 1300-736-736. Peter in Elwood's been holding on for a while. G'day, Pete. Yeah, mate. Uh, just wanted to raise the ruck contest. Why are we worrying about changing the rules of the game when if they just pulled the ball up straight away rather than waiting for two dinosaurs to get from one end of the ground to the other to make a contest? And in the and in the uh, point system, instead of giving them an extra point for making 100, kicking 100 points, how about giving them an extra 5%? That would make it a lot more interesting, especially when those teams sit all around the same points at the end of the season. Yeah, that's an interesting call. I, I, I tend to agree, Ray. Throwing the ball up straight away, that's been a call for quite some time. I'm, I'm not sure why we still have uh, the ruck nomination rule. I just feel that slows it down. I, I didn't mind the third man up. It, it, you know, it, was, it didn't really make a lot of a difference in terms of clearing stoppages, but you sort of had to take a risk. If you're going to have a third man up, it leaves you one short uh, at, at, the, at, the, at the ground. So I, I actually didn't mind that rule, and I think that does slow it up. You're having to wait for the ruckman nominate uh, for the Ruckman. I think if the Ruckman's not there, bad luck. Just throw it up and get the game moving. Thanks for your call, Pete. Let's go to John in Taylor's Lakes. G'day, John. Morning, Jules. How are you going, mate? Good. Thanks, John. Jules, in regards to the game, um, I'm going to bring it back to pretty, pretty basic because I think most sports in the world are basic and we try and overcomplicate things. Um, People go and watch Buddy Franklin... I'll pay money to see uh, Dusty Martin, Patrick Dangerfield. I could go on with uh, Gary Ablett Sr. I could go on and on. The way those guys play football is from instinct, just personal uh, creativity. Um, they play on instinct, as I said. And what my my beef is for the past probably 20 years is that coaches have had far too much control over players' creativity and instinct to the game on the field. They're scared to do certain things because that's not part of a game plan. I think it's the players are far too much controlled by coaches and the successful teams over the recent years, I'm a Richmond supporter and I've noticed a huge difference in the way Dimmer coaches that team and the players to give them more freedom on the football field to make their own decisions and do their brilliance on the field because... When they recruited them to the AFL, they were damn good players and they had to be stars at whatever league they were playing. Why take that away from the players when they're playing AFL football and it robs the crowds um, and supporters of seeing brilliance and seeing... I mean, people wouldn't worry as much of high scoring, low scoring, because they would see these players show their creativity and the brilliance that they've got. That's my main concern. They're over-controlled by the coaches. Yeah, Peter, I think a lot of people would agree with you there. It's a really interesting point you make about Richmond because, 
In 2016, obviously the Tigers had their three years of finals, didn't win a final, but 13, 14, 15, everything seemed to be building. And then 2016 was a, a disaster for them. And, and you know, Damien Hardwick suddenly was seeing the negatives in players instead of the positives. And that was one of the big things that Neil Baum did when he when he joined Richmond at the end of that year. It was, it was you know, these guys have got talent. Let's focus on the good things that, that these players can do. And we certainly saw them adapt uh, their game style to the list they had with the smaller forward line, etc. And and no doubt you can see Richmond players enjoy their footy. And you're right, they do play a very extinct... I mean, they're very disciplined. And uh, we had Wayne Campbell on drive, and he said, you know, he watched them live. And the way they defend as a group is is unbelievable. But you do see the way they just get the ball forward at times, knock it on, kick it off the ground. It is a pretty instinctive style that they play. So I think that's a really good point uh, that you make. Uh, thanks for your call. Let's go to John in Taylor's Lakes. G'day, John. Oh, you there? Hey, John, how you going? Uh, sorry, John, let's go to Ben in Dingley. G'day, Ben. Yeah, hi, Julian. Um, I was just giving you a call um, just about yeah, the rules of the game, like a few others. Uh, to me, there's a solution that, that people don't talk about enough is that we need to make tackling harder. And I say that because I believe that tackling is the single easiest part of the game because I can tackle these guys. Me personally, and I can't. I'm a terrible player. I can't get the ball first, but I'm sure I could tackle them. So why should I be rewarded for being able to tackle them, which shows no real footballing skill? So I believe that we need to, yeah, I, I, we need to be stricter on pushing the back because too many times you see a bloke lying there, face down, with someone in his back, and it's all up. I, I that to me would, yeah, solve congestion, and because. It's the, the main difference between the game now and, say, 20 years ago where we all, you know, think is the golden sort of era, that it's really the tackling numbers of the defence because everything's been so defensively minded. It's the tackle numbers going through the roof. So why not make it harder for the tackler? Is it making it harder for the tackler or is it just being more strict on the tackler and, and, and paying... Paying for you, you think there's push in the backs and maybe high tackles that players are getting away with. So Alistair Clarkson's one that thinks we're just not rewarding the tackler enough. And if we if we paid holding the ball to the letter of the law, that would help. But you think there's actually some more illegal tackles that aren't being seen? Yeah, I think with the if you like, on what Alistair Clarkson was saying, if you if you think about paying holding the ball too often, and I've seen it a couple times this year. Players will actually stand off another player, wait for them to grab it, and then tackle them. We can't have that. Get like Everyone's taught to get the ball first. That's the hard part. So we should be rewarding the people getting the ball first. Yeah, it's an interesting... And then by doing yeah. that... Yeah, and, I was gonna say, and by doing that, you, you make... Yeah, you're right. It's stricter on the tackler, not necessarily make it harder, but a slight push in the back should be called. We yeah. do it in a marking contest. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an interesting point. And, uh, yeah, that, I mean, it's such a difficult rule holding the ball. And with so many players around the footy, and, you know, there's been talking about Jared Healy's been big on the fact there should almost be a team holding the ball, where if you handball to a player knowing that he's about to be tackled and that you're probably going to get a stoppage, that should be a free kick as well. But interestingly, uh, one of Jared Healy's great mates, the great Greg Williams, was on Dwayne Russell's show earlier this year. And he had an interesting take on, on free kicks and what could be done. My idea of it, and I find even now with the girls playing and stuff like that, I think I think we've got to pay more free kicks. The rules are there in place to play high tackle in the back or 
I just think you've got to make it harder for the tackler coming in. They've got to be careful when they come in. You know, if they touch the shoulder, it's a free kick. You know, it'll open up more frees. It'll people coming in. They've got to be careful. I don't think it's going to affect the game a lot. Yeah, so Ben, uh, Greg Williams is sort of singing uh, from your hymn book there. Just one off the temper text. Jules, the silver bullet for the game is right under everyone's nose and never gets a mention. Well, I did get a mention from one of our callers earlier. Last touch out of bounds free against. The boundary line is every team's biggest defensive strategy. We play on the biggest arena of any sport and have no incentive to keep the ball alive. I can't think of a single football memory that originated from a boundary throw-in. In 2020, Wayne Harms would not have chased down that ball and created one of the game's most iconic moments. He would have been happy with a forward 50 stoppage. Force teams to actually be creative in the middle of the ground instead of pushing everything wide. That's from Damien. I think, yeah, Paddy Ryder to Robbie Gray uh, a couple of years ago against the Saints was a pretty good moment from a boundary throw-in, but you are right. Not many great moments uh, come uh, from boundary throw-ins. Uh, thanks for your contribution, Damien, on the temper text. 04. Double three ninety eight eleven sixteen, or give us a call one three hundred seven three six seven three six. You're listening to the captain's run. Yeah, my role in that as custodian of it is to make sure that um, you know, the right things are introduced to try and open the game back up and have more Dustin Martin moments. Um, you know that he did in, in the grand final where he was able to just find space. We're looking to create more of those. They couldn't have done less yesterday. I worry it will do nothing to improve the game. It's the start of pairing back interchange. So those who believe in that, I presume, are thrilled by it as a starting point. But we made the observation yesterday ahead of the committee meeting is they weren't going to please anyone, and the likelihood is they would please no one. The only change for the umpire out of yesterday to today is that they have to make sure the man stands the mark. To go into a season next year and producing interchanges, I'm a bit of a sceptic on it still, as I suspect quite a few players will be but you know the changes have been made so we're just going to have to live with them as players trying to put it into words is pretty hard but I reckon they're taking a blunt sword to a gunfight taking a bloke five metres mark back off the mark I said it should have been 25 two years ago when I was on that sort of trying to help another five metres is going to do very little for the kickoff very little and the man on the mark I mean not letting him run one metre this way or one metre that way that's neither here nor there so they're still going to chip at 45 metres and go slow I think it's a waste of time It, it, it won't really do anything <laughs> Welcome back to the Captain's Run. Julian DeStoop filling in for Kane Corns. You heard the voices there of Steve Hocking, Jared Waitley, Patrick Dangerfield and Malcolm Blight on the rule changes. Uh, look, it's a, it's, a, it's a topic that stirs a lot of passion. Obviously, Malcolm Blight and Jared uh, weren't a big fan there. But did we have to make many changes coming off a year that was uh, affected by COVID, shorter matches, um, you know, hubs? It's, it was a pretty tough to get a read on the game this year. So maybe we didn't need to make too many uh, changes for the game in 2021. Lines are open, one 736 to get involved. Anything on the state of the game, uh, your Christmas wish list for your club uh, in 2021. Got one here from Liam in Beaconsfield. I'm a Bombers fan and New York Knicks fan. My dream is to see us be good for once, which uh, that's a tough run being a Knicks fan uh, and the Bombers fans in probably the last two decades. Uh, another one here. Nathan Freeman did his hamstring in a preseason game and only went on to play two games at two clubs over four years and then was delisted as a top 10 pick. Now playing for Frankston and we'll speak to their VFL coach, Danny Ryan, 
uh, in about 10 minutes or so to see how Nathan Freeman is going. And I see it, but I don't believe it. Of course, Hutto's famous call of Nick Davis's winning goal in the 2005 semi-final at the SCG against his beloved Cats. That was from a boundary throw-in, wasn't it? Whiskers from Churchill. Close. It was actually a ball up uh, in the forward pocket. So uh, close whiskers, but not quite uh, a boundary throw-in. So, uh, yeah, it's really interesting times uh, with these rule changes. And uh, it'll be interesting to speak uh, to Danny Ryan just exactly about what he thinks it's going to be like for these VFL coaches next year. So they haven't had any access to their players basically this year. And then they're going to get them back and then going to have to teach them about these new zones, which is going to have to see three uh, pairs of players uh, in the Ford 50 at each end, a pair of players in the goal square. So it's going to be interesting to see how that affects uh, the VFL teams. I noticed Dave Dunbar, uh, who was a Port Melbourne player, has uh, done a lot of scouting work for AFL clubs and been a coach uh, in the waffle with scathing of these uh, new rules in an article with John Ralph saying it's just it's almost insulting to the uh, the leagues around the around the competition or around the country uh, to be having these experimental rules uh, in their competitions. And as we said earlier, Mark Williams said there was no consultation uh, with the VFL coaches. So it's going to be interesting to see how that rule plays out at VFL level. And if it's successful, is it something that's going to come into the AFL competition uh, from 2022 uh, onwards? But interestingly, earlier this week too, we heard from James Podziadley. Now, James was working at the AFL uh, in sort of game development and the style of footy. Uh, not working there anymore. But, uh, of course, obviously the talk around interchange caps is about uh, fatiguing the players. It's interesting because ever ever since we bought the interchange down uh, in the last 10 years, it hasn't helped scoring at all. So that, that certainly hasn't worked. But this was James Podziadley's thoughts on how fatigue can possibly ease congestion. If you look at a breakdown in a, in a chain, uh, most of it's a breakdown in, in, a, you know, in a system or a defence. And some of that's um, accredited to fatigue in players. So potentially decreasing, um, you know, increasing the, uh, let's say decreasing the rest of the player might potentially decrease some of the pressure that we do see in the game and around the ball. Um, so I can sort of see why the, the theory of um, rotations, you know, that adjustment might change that component of the game. And I guess a spin-off from that is a lot of people have been, I guess, bemoaning the skill level in the game. And if we've got more fatigued players, is that actually going to make uh, the skill level even worse? But just further on that, uh, a lot of people are saying, well, that's, you're not going far enough with cutting the interchange back. You know, people saying, get it back to 40 like it was in the early 2000s when, you know, as we said before, a lot of people think the game was at its strongest. Uh, Steve Hocking explained why they didn't ease it even further. We're looking after the uh, player health and safety um, throughout that. Uh, we, we don't want to disrupt the game too much, and so this is incremental change, and we'll we'll remain open on what it looks like for 22. Yep. Yep. So uh, 75 next year, whether it'll be further cut for 22, we're just going to have to see uh, how it works. So lines are open one 736 736 to get involved. Temper text zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Frankston VFL coach Danny Ryan, not too far away. You're listening to the captain's run with Julian Destoop filling in for Kane Corns. Welcome back to the Captain's Run. Julian DeStoop filling in for Kane Corns. Just a reminder, coming up on the show, Frankston VFL coach Danny Ryan, Nicole Bradkey to talk about the summer of tennis and how the Australian Open is likely to play out. Likely top 10 draftee Will Phillips, a Victorian boy from the Oakley Chargers. Brendan McCartney, the former Western Bulldogs coach on the state of the game. The quiz and Olgan Ulich from ESBM to recap yesterday's NBA draft. Just a couple off the temper text line. 1989 grand final boundary throw in. Gary Ablett snaps for one of the goals of the season. Would have been goal of the year, but he'd already won it. 
and he was third man up. Current rules are ruining ruining the game. That's Brad from Geelong. And another one on the interchange. That's because they haven't reduced the interchange anywhere near enough. 30 or less is what it needs to be. So as we said before the break, though, the numbers in terms of scoring don't really support uh, the interchange being reduced. Ever since we've reduced it, scoring's got worse. Now, whether that's a direct correlation to the interchange, it's probably more complicated than that. But uh, certainly in terms of the pure numbers, uh, that doesn't quite add up. So, uh yeah, it's interesting times with these rule changes. It'd be fascinating to get Brendan McCartney's thoughts and also Danny Ryan's uh, thoughts on just how these new rules at VFL level in terms of zoning uh, is going to uh, affect the game and make it, I guess, pretty difficult for VFL coaches coming back uh, this year and having to uh, you know, coach their players that they haven't seen for a while and then uh, also give them uh, these new rules. We've been going through uh, some of the Christmas wish lists wish list for your club uh, in 2021. Uh, a couple of other suggestions that have come through uh, from the Western Bulldogs. Josh Dunkley getting 80% of midfield time and recommitting uh, Tom Papley style, of course. Uh, great turnaround for Tom at uh, the Swans this year after he wanted to come to Carlton. Uh, didn't get his trade, put his head down and uh, was nearly an All-Australian. So I'm sure every Western Bulldog fan uh, will be hoping uh, that is the case for Josh Dunkley. And also from Port Adelaide, a grand final appearance Top of the ladder 2019, but bundled out one step closer this year. So uh, keep your Christmas wish lists coming in uh, for your footy club in 2021. After the break, we'll speak to Frankston VFL coach Danny Ryan. He's got a really interesting journey uh, from himself for VFL coaching, but let's get the news with Meredith Gibbs. Welcome back to the Captain's Run. Julian DeStoop filling in for Kane Corns, who's uh, having a hard-earned break for a couple of weeks after a big footy season and also a big trade period. If you're just joining us, coming up on the show today, Nicole Bradke will join us very shortly to talk about the summer of tennis uh, and how the Australian Open looks like it will be playing out. Brendan McCartney, uh, the former Western Bulldogs coach, uh, will also be with us. We'll look at the NBA draft from yesterday with Olgan Ulich uh, from ESPN. The quiz uh, coming as well. So plenty to get through in the next couple of hours. But before that, the first hour this morning has really been dominated by talk uh, of the rule changes that were announced uh, by the AFL on Wednesday. But they certainly have a big impact at VFL level or this new Eastern Seaboard competition, which will start in 2021 and uh, certainly in terms of uh, zoning and the fact that three pairs of players are going to have to be inside 50 uh, at stoppages. So it's going to have a big impact on the VFL clubs and Danny Ryan, the senior coach of the Frankston Dolphins VFL team has been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Danny. Morning, Jules. Great to, uh, great to be here, mate. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time. Before we get stuck into your thoughts on the new rules and what it's like to be a, a VFL coach in 2020 without any footy, just, for the listeners out there, take us through your journey in footy. It's a really interesting journey and uh, with so many different experiences. Just give us a snapshot of your time in footy. Uh, yeah, it's been a look a past less less travelled, I suppose. Um, look, I'm country Victoria. I'm a Colac boy down from Hodgie and Tim Peakins, my cousin, for a long time ago. But uh, spent some time in Sydney through work and got involved with North Melbourne in 96 through Greg Miller, who I'm eternally grateful for. And... Um, Sort of that led to you know doing a bit of recruiting and, and opposition up there and then through to a couple of years with Melbourne with Neil Danaher and Fags, who's now at Brisbane, uh, and then into St Kilda. So Johnny Beveridge, who sort of everyone's grandpa, lovely, lovely yeah. fella. Cool. Oh, I got involved in the New South Wales Scholarship Program so uh, in 2002 
um, which sort of turned out players like Craig Bird and Taylor Walker and, and others at other clubs. Um, Jared Witts was actually a scholarship player from Collingwood all the way back. But that led me to work for St Kilda. And then in 09, Tony Elshaw and, and Matty Drain brought me on board. I moved back to Melbourne, brought the family back and um, landed at a great time at the Saints with Ross and, and the boys, 09 and 010. Um, were fantastic years to be there. So it was an amazing experience. So yeah, I still sit here and pinch myself, to be honest, um, how lucky I've been on that sort of journey. And So four years at the Saints and then a couple of years part-time at, at Port Adelaide, doing a bit of opposition with um, Gotchi and, and Phil Walsh uh, and then had some time with Phil at Adelaide, just in a, in a part-time capacity based here in Melbourne. Uh, and then obviously the, the tragedy happened with Phil. And So uh, I did some work at the Dragons, the under-18s. I coached the school footy team at Mentone Grammar because I'd left sort of full-time AFL and was doing some part-time things. And, and then eventually hooked up with Justin Platt back out at Casey. So I was a senior assistant at Casey for a year. And and then the journey took me down Frankston, down to our Skybus Stadium, the magnificent facility down there at the Peninsula. So... Um, yeah, that's uh, that's been the, the long and the short of it, I suppose. Yeah, it's a great journey, and you've worked with some fantastic people there and, and in some successful times, as you mentioned, at the Saints, and uh, not a bad first year to start at North Melbourne, winning the Premiership uh, in 1996 in the centenary year. But what's it been like for you this year? I mean, how much contact have you had with your players? How's it sort of played out for you without any VFL footy? Yeah, no, really, really challenging year. I suppose we call it the the the, Kate, the Clayton's year, the year that wasn't without footy, but... um. Look, we had a, you know, we're really lucky down there. We've got, we've got a young playing group and a, and a good coaching group. We're highly engaged. Um, we've spent a lot of time sort of building relationships. So that's been the great challenge, I suppose, not being able to actually see people and, and look them in the eye and really understand the body language and the, and the nuance of what people are saying. So a lot of Zoom meetings, um, a lot of Strava for players and coaches all training, running and riding and things like that while we sort of couldn't get out, and especially with the 5K lockdown, that made it tough. Uh, later in the year, but earlier in the year before the season fell away, we trained in groups of tens at, at different locations, uh, and then we joined up again in groups of twenty. And then once we got back to training, when we thought we were going to have a VFL season, just before the second sort of outbreak, um, we were back training. We'd had a couple of weeks of training, and we had some new players join us, and we were really hopeful the standalones and, and the three aligned teams of having a VFL season. So there was a lot of hope and optimism, uh, and then unfortunately that fell over. Um, but look, it is what it is, and it was really, you know, the things you can control or you can't, it, it's really a simple philosophy, and, and that was out of our control. So the playing group stayed uh, engaged, and they're still talking. I see the, the banter online and various social media, so they're really highly engaged, but they're already looking forward now to what will be a really exciting year next year in a whole new competition. So when does pre-season start? Pre-season, have you got your boots ready? <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get you down there Monday. Yeah. We're, we're going to kick off this coming Monday. Um, down at Skybus, so and we'll have sort of seventy odd, you know, players, and we have a lot of new guys trialling and our return players coming back. But um, we think we can get four weeks in sort of before Christmas because um, for us it's about that connection piece, and our players haven't been able to be together. Um, and so look, it's not going to be an arduous training sort of block. Um, it'll be they're doing their own fitness work away under the guise of Chris Ross as our high performance manager. So the players are already doing that. So we just want to get them in and, and do some you know, skills and drills and, and just enjoy each other's company a little bit. So our blocks, all the COVID principles will be adhered to, you know, be really strong on that and looking after them and making sure it's a safe environment around that respect. But the ability of players to get together and coaches to see each other, I think it'll be great. 
Yeah, Danny, you don't want a soon-to-be 40-year-old that played very wide back in the day down at your club. So I won't bother you with that. But you mentioned, so you're just about to start pre-season. And then on Wednesday, the news comes through from the AFL that uh, zones will be trialled in this new competition. Now, I heard Mark Williams driving in this morning, the Werribee coach, say this was yep. news to him. Was this the, Did you hear about this for the first time on Wednesday? How did it play out from your point of view? I read it on Facebook. Right. So no consultation. Did you believe that? So there wasn't uh, a lot of consultation, and um, it, was, it was interesting. And, and look, it, it goes back to what I just said before. You, there's two sides to every coin. You can look at the pros and the cons of it, and, and, the, and the cons of it are, are pretty easy to see. But we don't know what will unfold, and you know, maybe down the track it, it may work out well. I mean, I was involved at the Dragons when we had a little bit of density zoning with two pairs inside forward 50, which initially was two forwards, and so, of course, the defenders played 20 metres in front, so that didn't work quite well. Um, but the interesting one will be, I think, will be the pair in the goal square at Stoppages. And I don't know if you've been to Frankston recently. It's a it's 183 metre long ground. <laughs> so from a from a kick in at the other end, it's going to look a bit like 1941. So it could be a little bit interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, but it will spread it will spread the field out. And so if that's the aim and the intention, there may be well some merit. So we've got a really open mind about how it may unfold. Um, I think initially there's there's going to be a lot of scepticism around it, but Let's uh, let's give it a chance and see sort of what unfolds because it'll coaches are pretty creative sort of people um, and other opportunities may unfold from it but um, I suppose the concern may be that if it does bring I think we'll lose a lot of time so we might be up for some forty minute quarters you know so resetting the field and and at boundary throw in stoppages the same thing happens so three pairs including one in the goal square and that'll apply to both teams so just not one team so there might be a little bit of dead time waiting for um, players to get back into positions. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. It'll be interesting. So, I mean, there's been some criticism of this. Uh, Tom Gribble from uh, Werribee has accused the AFL of treating players in second-tier comps as lab rats. Uh, former Port, uh, Port Melbourne coach Dane Dunbar has been really critical, saying don't turn it into a Mickey Mouse competition with tricked-up experimental rules. He also lashed out at uh, Tristan Salter, labelling him a mad scientist, tinkering with historical <laughs> ledgery competition. So there is some anger around it. Are you... Disappointed that this competition's being used to have experimental rules, or do you think, well, if they're going to be experimented. This is the place that needs to needs to be trialled. Oh, look, I think there's there's a combination. I think, as I said at the start, consultation was probably the earliest part. I mean, the great leaders really talk to their key stakeholders and and engage them, and you get real buy-in and the possibility that you know if we had some discussion. Mark Williams has been around a long time, won a premiership, but you know great coach. Gary Ayres, Andy Collins has moved from Williamstown, a long time VFL coach. Sturge, myself, there's there's plenty of great football minds floating around the VFL that inherently have the love of the game and the care for the game. We're not out to wreck the game either, by the way. So if you got us all in a room and talked about these sort of things, I'm sure we'd have lots of things to, to add to it and to consider. And we're not beholden to say that, listen, you know, we shouldn't do this. It's, it's actually the AFL competition and it's a privilege for us to be in it. So we understand, you know, the, the parameters that we're going to be playing under. But having some input into it, I think, would have got a greater sense of engagement. And then the potential of the ability to maybe look at a practice season, practice uh, series of, of matches where a format where you could really trial it and then make a decision. I think the AFL, by the way, has actually still... Um, held on to the decision that they may change it if they feel like that it's not working. Um, so clearly, I, I understand the reaction, um, and I get that. Um, I, I try to be a little bit more level, I suppose, and it's not really in my control. We'll get our players and our coaches together, and we'll say, well, boys, here are the rules. 
we've got to play within them. It's it's actually the competition we're in. We want to be in it. We're excited about what it's what it's going to be. Um, so let's make the best of it and and play to our. We've got. I think we've got some bigger fish to fry probably down our way. Do you think it'll work? Um, the jury's out, I suppose. As I said, in terms of sometimes, in terms, of, I think if we're talking about getting rid of congestion, there's other ways. And I've heard Alistair Clarkson mention it a lot, and I tend to agree with him. If you're quicker to pay a free kick, the team that gets the ball will spread the field, and you'll lose your congestion. But there's been a, a, a I guess, I suppose a theme away from paying a lot of free kicks, and we hear it all the time with with commentary, especially around finals. Let the game go. Let the game go. The longer you let the game go, the more congestion you get. We can't. You can't uninvent the wheel, and so players are fitter, stronger, quicker, and, and Steve Hocking mentioned that in his press conference. So we understand there's going to be some form of congestion, and, and pressure does come to the game. But as soon as you relieve that by giving the team the ball, the team with the ball in offence will spread the field, and you'll use all available space. So clearly, that's one way of actually removing the congestion, as opposed to moving players into zones, which the, the initial thought is we're actually sort of heading down the netball space. And I've heard Lee Matthews talk about it a lot, put one big line across the middle of the field, because the last thing we want is to turn it into an NFL game where we've got a 1,000 marks and lines across the field. And the game has evolved over the 140-odd years it's been played. We've never had a centre square, we had a diamond, and now we have a square. I suppose one of the conjectures is with the man on the mark at the kick-in going back to 15 metres, why do we even need the goal square? because he just runs and plays on. It used to be a kick-out box uh, you know, a long time ago. So um, it'll be interesting. Uh, look, I've got an open mind to it, Jules, I think. You know, we, need to, we need to see it in action and see what it does look like, because we don't know. We're only going on with what we think it's going to look like. And hence, I would have thought maybe some trial games in a, in a practice match series would have given you a lot of evidence about what it does look like and how it does unfold and some more data to support the theory. Because it's probably just a theory based on, and I'm, I'm sure at AFL Commission, I'm, I'm hoping, it's sat around the table and really discuss it in depth. So we're going we'll to talk, see. We're going to talk to Brendan McCartney about this shortly, but I'm just interested, as we've seen off the top here, you've got a great experience in footy at, at all different levels. So when, when you watch the game now, do you think it's a good game? Do you think it needs some major surgery, some minor surgery? Should it be left alone? Like, do you enjoy the game now compared to 20 years ago, or how do you look at it? I loved the game 20 years ago, and I love the game now. And and maybe that's because I've got you know I've got rose-coloured glasses towards the game that you. We all grow up as little kids kicking the footy at seven or eight years old, and your dad takes you to the footy. And you know I was involved in country footy clubs where footy's the heartbeat of the community, and and I'm still in love with the game as I was then. Um, and you know I grew up following Geelong, and so my first grand final ever was '89, and unfortunately Geelong lost three grand finals on that day. And the under-19s reserves and the seniors in an amazing game of high-scoring, high-powered football. But uh, being in Sydney and having some understanding of the Swans and watching the Swans and West Coast play in 05 and 06, you're just as enthralled. I think for the true fan, you want a contest. Um, and that's never changed. You know, in any given round of eight or nine AFL matches, there's going to be two or three good contests and there's going to be some uneven ones. That hasn't changed since the 30s, 40s, 60s, yep. 70s. All we've got is now saturation of meter and we understand the good games and the bad games. So we get to see them. And so we all hunger towards the finals when we get a great final series uh, and hope for the great one in the, in the granny, which you don't always get, but your prelims generally deliver on a great contest. So I think, I think high scoring is not contingent on having a great contest. And I think the fans that pay their membership and go to the game, they just want to see their team do well and they want to see a great contest. And they walk away seeing the stars of the game play really well and the teams of the game having a, having a really enthralling contest. They're talking on the train on the way home. They're talking in the pub. They're talking at the coffee shop on Monday morning. 
about how good the game was. I don't think they're talking about the rule changes and the blowout scores. And clearly they happen. Um, so I don't think it needs massive surgery at all. I, I think you can always, the custodians of the game, which the AFL are, uh, they've always got that responsibility to make sure the game's in good shape. But I think if we look at ratings and crowds and membership, I, I think we are in actually pretty good shape. Um, and I think the majority of the people, as I said before, especially the coaching fraternity, we've all got the, the love and the care of the game at our heart. And clearly we want to win. And when we play, it's like when you're a player, you play hard to win. But when you talk about coaching and tactical and things off the field, everyone's got the love of the game and the best interests of the game absolutely at heart. Some people, so I don't think it needs major surgery, no. Yeah, some people say that you know, we had a caller earlier today saying that players don't play on instinct as much anymore with the the number of coaches and the tactics that, it, that, that you know, the instinct's been taken out of the game. What, what do you say to that? Oh, look, I think the great players, what makes them great is that they have a, a really high instinct for the game. Um, or what makes them better, and as I said before, you, you can't, once we made the game professional, and, and this is a little bit about the rotations and then talking about bringing fatigue back into the game. Sometimes you've got to be careful what you wish for. The grass is not always greener. We bring, a lot, we bring high fatigue into the game, you're going to see the skill element go out. You're going to see poor kicks and scrubber kicks. And then if the ball's in contest, you're going to see more congestion come back. So there's, there's some other things that might come that you maybe didn't want by some of the things, which is why if you trial them and have a look and see what does happen, you might get some more evidence and data to really support what the theory is. But um, I think the great players, and I've seen them come through the TAC Cup, um, especially and I had some great time at the Dragons with Josh Kelly and Zach Merritt and then further on down the track with Tim Tarano and Setterfield and others. They had great instincts for the game, you know, and they're born with a sort of a footy genius or the, or the inherent nous they have to play the game. When they get some good coaching around them, they just get better tools to use, and so they're, that's why they become the elite. And, and that's what the AFL is. It's an elite competition of our sport driven by talented young players that are really driven to work hard and then they get good coaching. So if they get less coaching and they're more fatigued, we're going to see some skill. Our product may actually go backwards a little bit. That would be wary of that. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And just finally, uh, before we let you go, uh, the Dolphins, uh, new lights down there at Skybus Stadium. So you're going to get some night games down there next year. And also we had uh, a text before asking about uh, Nathan Freeman. How's Nathan going? Sorry, Jules, I've had a, missed a bad line there. Oh, that's all right. No, I was just saying, you've got uh, new lights down there at Frankston. Does that mean you're going to get some night games? And we also had a text asking about how Nathan Freeman's going. No, you're still all crackly. I'm not, not sure what's happening. Oh, you got me now? Uh, we might let Danny go there. We've got a bad line. Now, Danny, thank you so much uh, for your time. Uh, good luck with Frankston next year and a uh, really interesting conversation about uh, how the new rules will affect the new Eastern Seaboard competition. Uh, you're listening to the Captain's Run. Julian Stoop filling in for Kane Corns. After the break, we'll speak to Nicole Bradkey about the summer of tennis ahead. Welcome back to the Captain's Run. Julian Stoop filling in for Kane Corns. Apologies for the problems with Danny Ryan at the end. Uh, maybe he's just being coy about the lights down there at Frankston. Maybe that's a big secret. And a few texts saying maybe they delisted uh, Nathan Freeman. No, he did re-sign for the 2020 season. So uh, as far as I know, uh, the former Magpie and St. Nathan Freeman will be playing for Frankston next year. Just turning our attention to tennis now. And obviously, uh, big, well, there's a lot of excitement uh, in Melbourne earlier this week when uh, it was announced that all the lead-up events to the Australian Open would be played in Melbourne. And then Daniel Andrews came out and said that players uh, won't be allowed to arrive 
into Melbourne or into Australia until January, which means uh, will the Australian Open start on time? Will there be any lead-up events? What does it mean for the quarantine? So we thought we'd ask former Aussie tennis star Nicole Bradke for her thoughts uh, on it and just how the Australian summer is going to unfold. And uh, Nicole's been good enough to join us. Morning, Nicole. Good morning. How are we? Fantastic. How are you? Yeah, yeah, no, all good. Just sort of sitting back waiting to see what's what's going to happen with the summer of tennis, I guess, like everybody else. It's sort of, it seems to be changing week to week and, and I'm sure Tennis Australia have got lots of scenarios, you know, scenario A, B and C of, of what's going to happen. But, um, yeah, I guess they're probably being very frustrated at the moment just to see what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, it's been interesting reading some of the players' comments from around the world since this news came out about 48 hours ago. Obviously, they'd all be very concerned if they have to be in a two-week quarantine where they can't even practice. I mean, is that even possible for a player to do that and then have to come out and and potentially play two weeks of Grand Slam tennis? Yeah, look, no, it's not the most ideal situation. Um, You know, a lot of the players, if you're looking now at Instagram, a lot of them are in, well, the European players, um, you know, are in, I know Kvitova's in, in Dubai, uh, they're training. I guess they're thinking that there's a date that they've been told, um, but that's probably changing all the time. But they're preparing themselves and they're doing all this training now and then obviously to go and sit in a hotel room, which I understand everyone's got to do. Um, but when you're coming to play tennis, not to hit tennis balls for two weeks, and then come out and play the Australian Open in the heat and all those sorts of factors come into it, it would be extremely difficult. And I think you might find a lot of the players, a lot of injuries and things like that. So the ideal situation would be like our AFL players that, uh, you know, quarantined in hotels but had access to courts on site that they could actually practice. So I'm sure Tennis Australia is looking at things like that. It's just, um, you know, whether they get the go-ahead to use it or not. I guess which which was a similar situation to the US Open, wasn't it? Really, where players sort of quarantined and but they could have access to training. And I guess that looks like that's probably going to be the best form of compromise at this stage. Yeah, well, yeah, at the US Open, and I think you know from all reports that they did it far better than what the French Open um, actually did it. And uh, yeah, it's just you know some of the places you know a lot of these venues, hotels. They just come straight to the courts and things like that. And so that's what they were doing at the US Open. I did believe, though, at the US Open, you know, Djokovic and I think maybe Serena and that, they stayed off-site and they paid for their own security uh, in that respect. Well, I don't think that's going to happen here because they're international travellers. So um, I think they're all going to have to bunker down in the one hotel and just be ferried back and forth, I'm guessing, to, you know, the Australian Open site and practice there. But... I guess there's a lot of boxes got to ticked off before that can even happen. There's always a lot of unknowns at the Australian Open, you know, first Grand Slam of the year, a lot of players coming off their, their end of season break. And obviously this year it's going to be even more yeah. unknown in these current circumstances. And I guess taking that even further, if we look at some of yeah. our local hopes, someone like Ash Barty, who hasn't played this year, she's still world number one because they froze the rankings. We've seen her at the footy having a couple of beers and watching her beloved Tigers uh, win the premiership. So what sort of expectations would, would Ash have going into the new year, given, unlike a lot of the other top players around the world, she hasn't played tennis this year? Yeah, well, I mean, look, everyone sort of uh, played very spasmodically throughout this year. Um, although Sabalanka's, you know, played most weeks that she was able to play and, you know, she's won three of those tournaments. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, Ash. There's nothing quite like matches under match conditions and and you can play practice matches and things like that but it's really not quite the same 
I know uh, Tennis Australia currently at the moment are putting on different um, smaller tournaments, these UTR tournaments that uh, Gavrilova and uh, Kokonakis just uh, played in and just won recently just to try and get them matches under match conditions. So for Ash, she hasn't played in a long time. So, um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough, but, you know, she's, she's able to train and she's able to train in the heat and things like that. So, um, you know, it just depends on who comes out. And, you know, we'd like to think that it was a very strong field for all the tournaments. The other thing is, is, is most players are going to want to come out and play. They're wanting to, you know, it's their livelihood. It's how they earn their dollars. So they're going to want to start earning money. And for the WTA tour, you know, I think that, you know, there's not any tournament scheduled on the women's tour to at least April next year. So, um, you know, the more tournaments that if we're able to put on, the, you know, we'll get a, a good stretch of players that do come out. As a tennis lover, how have you found watching the Grand Slams this year? Obviously, you know, you have to be quiet at the tennis when the match is on, but the crowds play <laughs> a massive role at the Australian Open. Yeah. The US Open, we know, uh, can be quite hostile at times. How have you found watching from afar with, uh, with empty stadiums? Yeah, it's just a new normal and it's very bizarre. And, you know, if the players, it's like the footy players in the beginning were playing to no crowds and you, you know, you see a lot of home advantages. Um, you know, you think the crowd gets them over the line and, and you know, players love to, to play under those, those conditions, you know, New York City and things like that. And also the Australian Open, you know, we see the fans, we see how vocal they are, but, you know, that's just the way that it is. And, you know, that's the new norm that's they've got there their coaches out there watching them and things like that. So, and hopefully we may be able to get some sort of spectators in, in the audience, but um, it's just one thing that they have to learn to adapt to. And uh, I think the, the players are prepared to do that. And just finally, you briefly mentioned the footy. Your young boy, Austin, is down at the Demons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting year for him, like many uh, uh, yeah. footballers. How did he cope and how's he feeling about, uh, um, I guess, how 2020 has been for him? Yeah, look, he coached really, really well. I think in some ways it was a blessing for him. It was it was like going up to the Institute of Sport and sleeping and eating and breathing football, which, you know, he didn't play for three years. And the last couple of years have been a real learning and, and learning, you know, the ruck and getting his body strong and, and things like that. So for him, it, he really thrived on it. And I think it benefited him. So, um, and he had a great attitude. So that was terrific for him. And obviously he starts back training again. I mean, he's been training now, but, um, you know, fourth, first through four-year players start back on December the 6th for a couple of weeks. So, you know, it's going to look a little different for him next year with the VFL. And, and you know, hopefully he can get a game next year. You never know. So, But he's going along great guns. And, and Melbourne have been, you know, wonderful with him, with Matt, Matt Egan and, uh, and Stafford and all those coaches there. So... He's thoroughly enjoyed himself. Oh, Maxie Gorn's just about cooked, isn't he? Austin's and ready Max- to take over. <laughs> well, if you're going to learn from someone, you learn from the best. So, um, you know, he's been fabulous as is, you know, everybody else. So um, he's thoroughly enjoyed his time and the players have been great. They're doing, you know, a lot of different off-court training. He's, he's doing a bit of basketball training and things like that. So with some of the guys. So it's, um, yeah, it's they're just very fortunate that they got the season up and running and finished and, Hopefully next year it'll, it'll be back to some sort of, well, I don't want to say normal, but, you know, it'll be a, another great year in 2021. Yeah, great mentor to have in Max Gorn. And uh, let's hope, Nicole, we get a great summer of tennis. The Australian Open yeah. starts on time and uh, all the big names uh, get down here for the first Grand Slam of 2021. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Yeah, my pleasure.
Nicole Brackey joining us to talk about the Australian Summer of Tennis. Just a reminder, listen to This Is Your Sporting Life on Sunday from 10am. Sam Emman talks to former St Kilda and Essendon great Brendan Goddard. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral celebrating life. So let's go to the news and Meredith Gibbs. Welcome back to the captain's run. Julian DeStoop filling in for Kane Corns. So we're going to switch our attention to the AFL National Draft in a sec when we chat to Will Phillips, our likely top 10 pick this year, a midfielder from the Oakley Chargers. Uh, very, very highly rated indeed. Just a couple off the temper text. Uh, some really good feedback for our chat with uh, Danny Ryan from Frankston. Great interview logic. This emphasis on high scoring does my head in. Give me a good contest any day. Another says Danny Ryan to the Kangaroos. Very impressed. And another one, great interview, but I recall the VFL under-19 grand final of 1989 being Richmond beating the Kangas and not the Cats. That's spot on. The Cats lost the seniors and reserves, both by a kick uh, that day in 1989. But as we mentioned, it was announced yesterday that the draft, the national draft, will be a virtual event. It'll be held on December 9. So unfortunately, normally the top you know, likely top 20 picks are there on the day with their families. Unfortunately, uh, it's going to be done uh, virtually. But one man that's certain to be selected and potentially in the top 10 is Will Phillips from the Oakley Chargers, who's been good enough to join us this morning. Uh, Will, thanks for your time. And I believe it's not only a busy time footy-wise, uh, you're right in the middle of your exams. Uh, thanks for your time this morning. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, I am in the middle of exams, but I'm lucky to have a bit of a break um, between my last one and my next one, so that's no, good timing. <laughs> How, what have you? What exams have you done so far, and what uh, what ones are coming up? Uh, so I've had English, which was the first one on the um, last tu- or a couple of Tuesdays ago. Uh, I've done further maths on Friday and then this Monday, um, and I'm, I've got geography and global politics next week, so. I'll be pretty pumped next Friday when I'm all done. Absolutely. What are you looking to do post uh, post school in terms of study? Um, well, I'm passionate about helping people, so um, I think something in the in the education industry would be fitting. Um, I've thought about that, but in saying that, it's very up in the air at the moment. Um, I like to keep my options open, and you know, hopefully, I can make a career out of footy, and then see where that takes me in, in, at the end of my career if I if I'm lucky enough to have one. Now, yeah, there'll be plenty of footy fans uh, hoping you can help their footy club for the next uh, decade or so. Now, little birdie tells me, now, no names, initials, Alicia Mewling, Nine News, who I believe is your cousin. Uh, you might yes. actually go to school with uh, the daughter of potentially your senior coach next year. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, well, yeah, Georgia Clarkson, obviously, um, daughter of Alistair Clarkson, um, she actually goes to the other campus, so I don't have a lot to do with her. But, um, but from what I've, when I've um, been with her, she seems really nice, and um, so so has Alistair when I've been with him. So uh, it would be an absolute pleasure to go to the Hawks. Obviously, Clarko's um, one of the best in the industry, and um, I've no doubt he'll take take Hawthorne back up to the top if he's given another opportunity. So um, I'm trying not to think too far into the future because. Um, yeah, I don't, don't want to get hurt myself and and um, expect expect that because then, you know, get my hopes up. And if, it, if it, this year's taught us anything, it's to not look too far into the future. So it would be an absolute joy, but um, not, get, not getting too far ahead of myself. <laughs> How many clubs have you spoken to so far? Oh, about 17. Um, so I think, yeah, well, Port were the only ones that didn't, I didn't speak to, um, which, is, which is probably fair considering they're not, they've got a couple of NGA guys. So. Yep. Yeah, seventeen. Yeah, yeah uh, any and how how have they been? Is I mean, it's I'm always fascinated to hear 
how the interviews go. I know back in the day, Mark Williams used to throw a few curly questions at the likely draftees. Has there been anything a bit left to centre that's been uh, thrown at you when you've chatted to, to the 17 clubs? Yeah, I've been asked that quite a few times, actually, and, and I haven't actually been um, yeah, throwing any curly questions um, compared to what I've heard of in the past. I think a lot of those questions would have came um, at the draft combine yeah. where they do the interviews there, but obviously we, we didn't have our combine interviews or we didn't have as many this year. So, um, so yeah, I, I didn't really get to experience that. But, um, but yeah, I, I did get asked for what I did on Christmas Day and... <laughs> I now know why they why they ask that because um, I think they're looking for guys that um, you know say that they do the hundred hundreds or they do some training in the morning and and you know try and get ahead of the pack when no one else is doing the work and um, but yeah that that was a bit curly and I didn't didn't know what to say at first but then I understood it so, <laughs> yeah. so what did you actually tell them and was it the truth? Uh, <laughs> it was the truth. Um, I just said I spent time with family and then um, after. Yeah, after I realised that, that that they were looking for more than that, I did say that I trained that morning, which I did. So um, I wasn't lying and I wasn't saying it to just, just to put myself out there, but, um, yeah, it threw me off guard a little bit. Yeah, you can think on your feet. That's good. Well, you we can blame the Brayshaws for that. They boast about their hundred hundreds on Christmas Day and that's, yeah. that's ruined it uh, for everyone else. I mean, you had a great year in 2019 as a, a bottom-age player, you know, played in the premiership for Oakley. Just take us through what it's been like this year, you obviously you're thinking it's such a big year for you. Thinking about you know Vic Metro again and another big year for Oakley. Just take us through what it was like when you you sort of found out you wouldn't be playing much footy and and and, and what have you done to keep fit and and make sure you're ready to go when your name's read out by an AFL club? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It was very tough in the beginning. Um, you know, I pr- probably allowed myself a couple of days to really you know do nothing and not not push myself, not try and push through the pain and what I was going through. So, um, yeah, allow myself to experience those that mix of emotions for a couple of days and then pick myself up from there. And I'm really, really grateful that I have a good supportive network of family and friends that, um, yeah, have helped me to keep motivated, um, hold me accountable to things and, um, you yeah, know, stay on top of what I want to achieve. Um, and then, yeah, I think for me it was just, yeah, let's try to stay as present as possible and, um, nat- naturally, I'm obviously very passionate about footy, um, so I think that that hunger was never lost. I just had to make sure I stayed in the moment and focus on what I could control. Um, that classic saying of control the controllables was um, came came to life really um, in this year. And whilst it's been very up and down, and obviously I'm not going to lie, it's not it hasn't been great. But um, there's so much growth that's come out of this, and I'm so grateful that. You know, I'm, I'm able to recognise those things and move forward and hopefully that holds me in good stead for the draft and, and beyond. When you say so much growth, what sort of things are you talking about there? I think my self-sufficiency um, and my self-discipline definitely developed because um, I guess when you grow up, you, you have these scheduled training sessions. Um, you know, you have, sort of have your parents doing everything for you, but a lot of what we did was left up to, to us. Um, so I had to really set myself a training program. Um, I had to be really organised um, in, in juggling that with my school, which was always, you know, pretty unknown as to where that was heading. Um, and then obviously, yeah, so, so I had a few leadership positions this year and I had to stay on top of that as well. So being organised was really important for me. And, um, yeah, it's, it's taught me the importance of being really independent and um, knowing where you're going without needing guidance from other people. So, 
um, yeah, I'm fortunate to have been surrounded by other people, but yeah, that, that growth probably just come from my, um, yeah, my independence and the way I've developed in that respect. You mentioned you've spoken to 17 clubs. Now, I'm assuming you're not a Port Adelaide supporter, so you would have spoken to the club that you've grown up supporting. Who did you support? And then what was it like to meet that club? Yeah, I support Collingwood. Um, very passionate um, growing up. Went to 2010, both the draw and the rematch, and then 2018 as well, which was I was devastated about. Um, so, yeah, met with Derek Hine, and he was, um, yeah, that was a great interview. They're all, they're all great guys, but... Um, you know, Derek's very, um, it may come across a bit intense, but I was able to have a good laugh with him. And, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I'm not sure if I'll be in their range, calling the range. Maybe if they trade up, um, obviously no guarantees. But, um, yeah, it was cool to be able to meet him. And, um, yeah, very grateful. Well, whatever you do, don't sign a long-term co- contract if you go to Collingwood. No, only joking. Oh, no, only joking. I don't. I don't expect you to answer that question. Now, I want to talk to you about. Uh, you played some footy with a couple of decent names last year: Matt Rowell and Noah Anderson, the two Gold Coast boys. What was that yep. like? And what was it like for you watching? Well, both boys in particular, but I guess the way Matt Rowell started this season before his injury. What was that like to watch uh, one of your mates play like that? Uh, yeah, it was an absolute joy. Um, to be honest, I wasn't super surprised. Um, I've, I've watched him. You know, I was always the year below him and I watched him grow up. I never saw him play a bad game. I always heard how much of a freak he was and then um, fortunate enough to play with him in, in my bottom age year and um, you just see why he, he's the best. Um, he's very professional. He's super humble. Um, he's got a passion and an obsession for footy like no one else that I've ever seen. Um, and I think that's why he's, he is where he is and um, his work ethic is greater than anyone else's. So to him and it's been a joy watching him um, and you know that's someone I hope to model my game off in the future so um, yeah he's um, he's a legend He'll, he's, going, he's going places as we all know Do you wear his, your shorts as high as he does? <laughs> not, not quite I'd like to think I'm a bit more fashionable than... Nah, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, yeah, he's going to be a fantastic player. As you mentioned, what about some of your other Oakley uh, teammates that are in the draft pool this year? Just tell us about a couple of them and a couple that we might see get drafted in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, so my one of my best mates, is like, his name's Bailey Laurie. Um, he's probably touted as a top 20, top 30 pick. Um, and he's... Yeah, we've, we've gone to Corfu together. He came in year 10 and I was there since year 7. And... Um, we've got a really strong relationship and um, I'm really, yeah, I'm really, really, um, really grateful for our friendship and we, we push each other and I think he's a good chance to go somewhere in the second or third round. Um, Ruth McInnes is obviously calling with NGA. Um, he's a good, strong body, mid. Um, so he, Collingwood supporters have something to look forward to there. Um, Jamar, you Hogan, obviously the Bulldogs will be happy about him because he's, he's a super talent. Um, there's lots of boys. Finn McRae, um, not, he probably won't join his brother, brother Bulldogs, but he's got a lot of talent as yep. well. Um, I'll probably miss someone. I feel, I'm going to feel bad here, but um, yeah, they're the ones that come to mind. <laughs> nah, it's a good crop. It's a good crop again. So have you got any inkling where you think you might go? Or is it just so hard to predict? Um it is so hard to predict. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really fortunate that I'm in a position where I can sort of look at where I'm going to go and um, obviously no guarantees and, and to, there's nothing um, nothing set in stone until my name's called out. But, um, yeah, I'd like to 
you know, probably stay in Melbourne, but but there's no no hints at that, and I'd be grateful just to go anywhere. So, um, yeah, I've, I've I've spent so long, or I haven't spent so long, but I've tried to predict it so much in my head, and then it just ends up <laughs> yeah. spinning me around and around and around. So um, I've stopped myself from doing that and just made sure that I'm still grounded. Yeah. Now, a couple before I let you go and uh, get back to the books. Now, your cousin says, ask him about his childhood. He hated playing with toys, only liked playing with pots and pans. What does that mean? <laughs> you like your cooking? Yeah, I don't know where that came from. I just I just like to pretend I was a cook when I was two or three. I used to go to Alicia's house and um, I'd get in the door and I'd, all I'd say was pots, pots, pots and um, my auntie would get the pots out and I'd sit there and pretend I'm cooking. So um, it hasn't really followed through to um, my teenage years because I'm not a very good cook. So I might need to do some um, do some training in that area. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, thanks for that, Alicia. <laughs> and just finally, come on, she's listening. Any dirt on Alicia, you get get the right to reply. Oh, yeah, she's not what you see on TV. Trust me. Nah, <laughs> she's uh, she's. Uh, She's lovely. Um, I was with her last night, actually, and, and yeah, we get on really well. And um, yeah, she's uh, she's a very passionate footballer. Um, she might not seem that way. Oh, she obviously she's a sports reporter. She might not seem as passionate um, as she is on t- um, on TV as she actually is. But um, yeah, no, she, she's a great great person and a great role model for me. Um, I'm really grateful for her support. She's a Hawthorne nuffy, I know that. So she'll be very, very excited uh, if you make your way to the Hawks. So, Will, thanks for the chat uh, this morning. Uh, Good luck on December 9 and uh, good luck uh, with the exams uh, in the next couple of weeks. It's uh, an exciting time for you. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks, Jules. I really appreciate that. Great to have a chat to Will Phillips, a man that's going places uh, in footy. Oakley Charger, likely to be a top 10 pick in the draft. You're listening to the Captain's Run. Oh, nice track, Johnny. Uh, Julian Destoop. Filling in for Kane Corns on the captain's run. Obviously, the state of footy has been a big talking point this week, and particularly since Wednesday, and Steve Hocking announced some tweaks at AFL level next year. And obviously, the big one uh, at the new Eastern Seaboard uh, competition next year in terms of zones and three pairs of players having to be inside 50 at stoppages. One man that knows the game better than most is former Western Bulldog coach and highly rated assistant at Geelong and Essendon and Richmond and more recently Melbourne. And that is uh, Brendan McCartney, who's been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Brendan. Hey, Jules. How are you, mate? Good, thank you. Yourself. And before we get started on the AFL, uh, you're returning to some country footy next year, which must be exciting. It is exciting, take up the job at North Ballarat Footy Club in the Ballarat League, which is a really uh, proud and traditional club and had enormous success for about a 30-year period in the VFL time. And They're looking to rebuild a little bit. They've got a really good junior program. So the role sort of coach the seniors and, and direct the club, but also uh, a couple of us uh, get our teeth into uh, developing the juniors. Not that they need learning how to win, but uh, developing the juniors in the whole Ballarat region, really, and, and developing footy in that region. It's, it's exciting. And how's 2020 been for you? Yeah. Uh, stop and start, a bit like everyone. We had uh, Susie Robinson and I have got a business called Player Coach, so yep. we had uh, fairly happening through the schools and after schools and holidays and, and like, like most of us, and, and then it went into hibernation, but we've managed to... Stumble, I reckon stumble is probably the right word, Jules, and uh, come out the other side with plenty of opportunities next year. It's given us time to put a sports specialist program in place at the local school, Western Heights, which is 
my old high school where youngsters can go there and do VCE and, and establish themselves in the game and learn the game and we hope to put some really good coaches around them and you know current AFL people just to open their minds to footy so it's allowed us to do that and continue to build the business and we've now got some good after school programs going, holiday programs going so and we'll be we'll be around all regions of Victoria over the January period so look out for player coach on social media and we'll keep you updated. Awesome. Busy 2021 ahead. Now, state of the game. I mean, everyone's got a view on footy and how it's played. Is it better now? Is it worse now? Do we need to go back to what it was? So, um, David King's always big on we need to know where we want the game to go before we make some changes. So, in your point of view, where do you want the game to go? You, you're pretty happy with it? Do we just need some minor tinkering? Does it need some major surgery? How do you look at it? Well, I think it's, it's sort of a... I was thinking about this this morning. There's, I don't know if presumption's the right word, but AFL players love scoring too, and so do AFL coaches. You, you know, it, it's not lost on AFL people that um, how much fans and the excitement is generated at a game when they're scoring and goals, and especially quick goals that are just created through you know some really good contest or a spectacular turnover, and the ball just moves so quickly. And probably to the, the TV eye, it, it it doesn't do it justice to how quickly the ball can move. The TV sort of slows as a way of slowing everything down. So AFL people by nature do want to score and entertain, but you also, you've got to deal with what's out on the ground and and not to underestimate just how athletic and powerful and quick 36 AFL players are where there's one ball. There's not that much space and they do take up the space really quickly. So, we do, most AFL players, as I said, do want to see more scoring. Uh, clearly, the AFL want more scoring. They, they want the game moving. They want the ball in motion. But you know, I'm not sure all of the rule changes are going to do that. I, I've probably got a bit of a bias towards the interchange numbers. You know, it was interesting to hear Hock talk about Dustin Martin. You know, he's the exception to the rule. Yeah. You know, there's, there's not many Dustin Martins around. And, and what he did in the grand final was just a, a combination of phenomenal ability, the ball bouncing his way at a certain time and, a, and an open forward line and him being able to execute. So to pin everything on that is a little surprising, but I, I can't help but think reducing the interchange is going to make it harder to score. And if we want the powerful players to really engage in the game and, and open football up, keep them fresh and leaving them out on the, on the ground longer just dulls their athletic powers. Well, I mean, the stats back that up as well, don't they? Ever since we've cut interchange over the last 10 years, scoring's gone backwards. So if we're looking, if we're looking yeah. back to the early 2000s, you know, for example, when the interchange was at 40, I mean, clearly that's not a big say in, in, in scoring is the interchange numbers. So, so you're very big on the school that cutting it back is actually, what, do you think it's going to make it worse rather than better? I, I think it will slow the game down more because what I noticed this year was that Teams just didn't have the energy to generate space and movement when the game slowed up. And, yeah, teams do defend the ground much, much better, but you need energy on offence when you get possession of the ball. And AFL players and footballers in general, if a ball bounces and the ball's move and the game's moving, you don't even think about it. You just go and you find energy from nowhere. But what was really noticeable this year, that whenever the game got slow, there was really... Uh, a lack of urgency around the mark to generate space and, and movement with handball receives and, and teams just shut down because they were they were gassed, they were, they were cooked because they... And I think that the nature of the competition this year with uh, more games and less rotations, 
did lead to some pretty high levels of fatigue. But leaving players out on the ground for longer, I think, is going to harm the offence. Yet there seems to be a school of thought that it's aiding and abetting defence at the expense of, of attack. But I'm, I'm a bit, I'm the other way. I'd like to see the interchange just left and let the power players go on and off the ground, stay fresh, and really open the game up. You mentioned the coaches before and how you know coaches too want to see. High scoring. So what do you think when there seems to be the general reaction is, well, the, the AFL can change rules as much as they want, but it, it's up to the coaches. The, the coaches are dictating the way the game is played. And unless they change some of their tactics and I guess the focus on defence, it won't change. What's your view on that? Well, good players and, and good teams, it's never been any different. You've got to be good in all phases of the game. You, you can't be a good player and, and just rely on one part of the game whether it be your ability to win at stoppage or your ability to defend the ground or, or convert when you get a chance. You need to be across all areas, and great teams are across all areas. You know, Richmond um, get a little bit of a label put on them. They're this exciting momentum team, but they're incredibly good. When they haven't got the ball, they're, they're exciting when uh, the ball's in dispute, and they're very hard to stop when they do have the ball. So... Uh, all coaches are trying to get their teams to be good in all areas of the game because you're employed to A, win games of footy and, and B, uh, have your team as high up a ladder as you can and when you get to the finals, you've got a chance to, to create some great things. And history will show you that when you can't do that as a coaching group or as a senior coach, you don't get much time to, to stay in the game. You get moved on pretty fast. So coaching uh, is a wonderful occupation and and. AFL coaches in particular, they're really aware of being custodians and creating a good product and at the same time doing the best job they can for their clubs. We've seen some a couple of radical rule changes, I guess, in the SANFL with the last touch rule and what we're seeing coming into the VFL or the new Eastern Seaboard competition next year with zones and three pairs of players uh, inside 50 at stoppages. What's your view on quite dramatic changes like that? Or are they not that oh, dramatic? Uh, no, it's dramatic. Uh, but you do, you do see teams set up that way at times. I, I don't think every stoppage is set up the same way. Sometimes when a team is, and we saw it in the grand final with the Tigers, they, they actually pulled their forwards back and, and created run and carry space, and that was the major change in the game after halftime as I saw it. And So it's not as blanket as that. I think clubs do mix and match their stoppage structure according to whether they're being beaten or, or, or they're dominating. I, I don't personally see the need for it. I, I even equate that to Auskick. I, I think we got that wrong too. We, we, putting people in an area actually st- uh, stimmies or, or nullifies their ability to make decisions and, and play footy and open up space. And, and we should be spending more time teaching young people coming through the pathways in particular how to create space relative to one another by making decisions, but we're not. We, All of our junior programs and pathway pro, high percentage of them are geared around controlled drills where they stand on cones and uh, the decisions made for them. You know, we, we should spend more time teaching our young players under the age of 12, 13, 14, you know, how to create space, open up space, work work with each other to, to, to create opportunities for, for each other out on the ground, but we don't. We we put them in grids as young people. We uh, we give them training drills. They stand on a cone most of training and, and take all the, all the decision making out of it for them. So does that sort of feed into you know some people say oh players don't play on instinct as much anymore. That's being coached out of them. Is is that sort of what you're talking about there? Uh, not really. No, I don't think that happens as much. I I think the game is quite structured when there's a stoppage, um, but 
No, if you watch football, no two bits of play ever look the same, do they? And no two games ever look the same. You'll see trends in both and um, you know, some repeat behaviours. And, and, and you might think, oh, it looks the same, but it, it's never it's never quite the same. There's still so much instinct and sheer nature of the shape of our ball. When it bounces, it goes anywhere. And there's never four of one and two of another team there at every contest. Sometimes it's in reverse. Sometimes it's three of each. Sometimes there's... There's five of each. I think we probably haven't quite been prepared for the advancement in athleticism of players at the top level in particular. They, they're they just incredibly powerful people who get to a contest quickly and can go from 50 metres away from the ball. They're within two and a half, three seconds, they're right over in that area, 10, 15 metres away, and that's how you do get this congestion. But I think the smart clubs... Maximise the congestion. They've got an ability to open the ground up and open the game up and make really quick decisions. And that's what mature teams tend to do. And the game tends to be heading towards supporting and, and helping mature teams stay at the top for longer with the rule changes and, and the way it's geared. You mentioned before that you know, I guess if you were in charge, you'd, you'd make uh, interchange unlimited. Is there anything else you think that needs to be done, or are you more from the school that, that, that we don't need to tinker too much? The game's pretty good. And uh, we don't need well, to be changing too much. Well, I think I'm probably reluctant to react too much to criticism. You know, you listen to it and you, you listen to commentary, but don't don't overreact to it. Uh, take on board what's what's needed. But a lot's gone right too in the game. But yeah, you know, the AFL community did a mighty job to get this competition, keep the competition up and going through the course of the year. And probably when we talk about real changes, the six 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 has proven really good to watch. Uh, it's not easy to deal with as a coaching group at, in football at that level because if you don't win the centre bounds, you're under enormous pressure. But that's the challenge you, that you, you take on and, and sort of enjoy that, that part of the game. But that, that's been a significant thing. But I, I'm probably in the corner of not tinkering too much, but not at the expense of not being aware of tr- trends in the game and, and providing a good product and making sure that the people invest into the game, which are people like me now who, who just go to the football to watch it for football's sake and enjoy the day and um, people who invest in corporately wise and um, and make sure that we protect the players so their longevity's um, got a chance to be there and it's a safe environment for them and, and they've got the best opportunity to, to put the spectacle on the ground. And do we have to move away? A lot of people say, you know, they look back at whether it's footy in the 90s or it's footy in the early 2000s saying that was that was great and, and we'd love to see it go back to that. But reality is we're, we're not going back to one-on-one contests all over the ground, are we? And things like that that we loved uh, back in the older days. So do we sort of need to move on and, and you know, realise that we're not going back? We can make the game better, but we're not going back to what it was. No, because people move faster. You still do see one-on-one contest and you do need to be able to compete one-on-one as a defender and you do need to be able to win one-on-ones as a midfielder and as a forward and sometimes winning the contest is just keeping it alive but the the change in the biggest change in the game is as I said the athleticism of players and their ability to read the cues and get to an area quickly so that their teammates support it and the one thing about our game is has been around for a hundred years, hundred plus years, that the, the team that's able to consistently create an outnumber and get more numbers near the ball generally wins the ball and has more options to use so that straight away they're they're on offense and they're attacking and putting pressure on the opposition and the same thing applies 
in back lines. You know, the great the great teams, and at the moment, Richmond do it better than anyone, is that they'll, they'll see a teammate one-on-one and they're so quick at reading the cues and leading their opponent who's out of play to, to create an outnumber. And, and that helps them win the ball back and, and create some attacking play. So uh, the, the one-on-one where they're stationary all over the ground, you know, that, that won't be seen again. But there's still... The ability to win a one-on-one or have a win-on-one, one-on-one is still the most important thing in the game by gonna, a long way. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the Tigers because a lot of people, now that they've won the three and four out of four, they compare them to the Geelong sides that you were involved with and, and the Hawthorne sides that you would have coached against that won three in a row. A lot of people line them up on paper and, and don't think they have as much talent as, as those teams or the Brisbane Lions teams that won those three flags in the early part of the century. So from your point of view, when you watch Richmond, you've touched on a few things there, but... What makes this Richmond team so good from your point of view? The, the main thing, Jules, with them is that they've got potentially 18, 90, 18, 19, 20 people that are just brilliant in their positions. And by that, and, and what great teams have is they have people that are really master of their position. They Technically, they can deal with it. They know how to make decisions. But what make, makes this Richmond team so unique for me is they are totally team and club aligned and their best player, the best player in the game is team and his sheer excitement at winning the prelim, you could just see he was like a little kid at a birthday party and uh, and his commitment to the team through the finals and his growth as a person in regard to being a team player over the last five years probably is the biggest reflection of their whole club you know, the, he's, he's probably gone from being the most individual uh, individual based person who did what he wanted to total team and and that's that's what separates them at the moment they they train hard they hit hard at training they work hard they run fast at training their training looks like a game they prepare for a game and it means that it doesn't matter what's happening in the game their intensity rarely changes and they're always able to compete but i think having so many people so good in their positions and complementing each other by aligning themselves to the team. They, they harness to the team better than anyone. That's why they're, they're still going to be very hard to beat next year. Just on Dusty, I mean, you work with some great players at Geelong and obviously, you know, famously the, the heat was put on Gary Ablett at one stage there and, and obviously he turned it around and became the brilliant player that he was. So in Dustin's transformation, how much do you think that's Dustin himself and how much has that been the leaders at Richmond, whether it's Damien, whether it's Trent Cotchin, putting a bit of heat on him and, and making sure he gets the absolute best out of himself? Well, without knowing exactly what's happened, because unless you're there right at the coalface, you're guessing. But I think all of the above, uh, I think, and, and natural maturity in, in the man himself, he, he grew through, uh, you know, most of them take four or five years before they work out mentally and emotionally what what sport at that level is all about and the commitment needed to... Because in the end, you, the challenge is to have your body ready to go all the time through a grinding season, and, and that takes enormous commitment away from the club in your own time with recovery and nutrition and sleep. They're, they're not footballers anymore. They're, they're football, just footballers anymore. They're footballers... They're also elite athletes, incredible athletes. And, and as I've said a couple of times to you today, that I think it gets underestimated just how powerful and, and um, brilliant they are as, as sports people. So I think all of the above for him. Uh, and I, they just look like, he in particular just looks like a player and a group and the group that just didn't want to let each other down anymore and that were prepared to give to the team and, and all enjoy the spoils and, and that's how they seem at the moment and, and good luck to them. They've, they've done it 
brilliantly well and they're just so respected I think by all of us for how they play and and what they do as a club. Well, Brendan, always great to catch up and uh, chat footy with you. Exciting times for you next year, uh, getting back uh, coaching your own side. Thanks for your time this morning, and uh, we'll touch base in 2021, I'm sure. Thanks, Jules. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Welcome back to the Captain's Run. Julian DeStoop filling in for Kane Corns, who's having a couple of weeks off after a big footy season and a big trade period. Now, big day in the States yesterday, NBA draft day, and a big day for Australia as well on a couple of fronts. So let's catch up with Olgan Ulich from ESPN, uh, one of the great uh, basketball writers in this country. Olgan, uh, thanks so much for your time. Let's start uh, with Josh Green, picked up at number 18 by the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, listening to one of his former coaches on with breakfast this morning, he believes that's a great fit for Josh. Just tell us about that move for him and uh, what sort of player he is. So I think it's, it's almost the perfect move for him. You know, you look at that Mavericks team and they have Luka Doncic, they have Christoph Porzingis. So, you know, that they have these two guys who, you know, are going to be their ball-dominant players and in comes someone like Josh Green who, you know, he, he might get a decent run at least to start off because of the way he plays. He's a 3 and D guy. He stretches the floor and can shoot it. That's a part of his game that is getting better. And he's probably, he was widely regarded as one of the better defenders, especially one of the better perimeter defenders in this draft class. And so he has the potential to go into that lineup, play on the wing and, and fill the lane for, you know, alongside someone like Luka Doncic, who we know is, you know, one of the best players in the world. And at 18 as well, the number 18 pick, it was, it was earlier than a lot of us thought he'd go, but it's probably, you know, right in the range. Um, and, you know, it's, I think, the perfect fit for him. So you think he could get, in terms of his first season, what, what sort of role will he play in that team, do you think? Look, so, so the Mavericks traded for Josh Richardson and they still have Tim Hardaway Jr. on their books. And so I think their starting lineup is relatively set. I can see Josh Green coming off the bench and having a, a significant role for that team. Think of what Matisse Feibel did for the, the Philadelphia 76ers last season. He, he has a similar game to, to Feibel where he can stretch the floor and he's just a lockdown defender. Um, and so, you know, I think we'll see Josh be, you know, an energy guy off the bench for that team. And I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he gets to those games where he plays 15 minutes because of his ability to guard. And obviously, well, Lamello Ball's played in Australia, so we're claiming him already, Aussie Lamello. Uh, pick, th- <laughs> pick three to the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, is that what you're expecting? Obviously, it's a nice little, I guess, a side story or backstory, given what his old man said about Michael Jordan as well. But ha- what, what were you feeling when uh, his name was read out with pick three? Look, that, that was right about where we thought he'd go. You know, if we, we were assuming that those first three teams, if those picks weren't traded, they, they would pick for fit. And so Anthony Edwards to the Timberwolves made a lot of sense because they needed someone on the wing. They already had a point guard and a big man. The next pick was James Wiseman because the Warriors did need a big man. And so the next logical thing was for the Hornets to pick the best available player. That was LaMelo Ball. As far as his fit on that team, you know, he'll go in. And I fully expect that that coaching staff to put the ball in his hands and sort of just let him run with it, right? They have Terry Rozier and they have Devontae Graham, both really solid players. But I, I think if you're going to go all in on a player and focus on your next few years, you'd rather go all in on someone with, like Lamelo Ball, who has such a high ceiling. He can pass the ball really incredibly. He does have some deficiencies he needs to improve on, but because his potential is so high, you know, you'd rather just go all in on that than focus on, Terry Rozier is like a 20-something and probably not the future of your franchise. So as far as LaMelo going somewhere where he will be the face of that franchise, I think Charlotte's the perfect spot. You mentioned the high ceiling there. I guess it's a bit of an obvious question. I mean, he's gone pick three in the NBA draft and there was talk he could go pick one. But but how good can LaMelo be? So, you know, think of what he did in the NBL. He averaged 17, 
seven and seven around that sort of range, which is really incredible to do in the NBL, which is maybe a top five league in the world, right? So he's proven himself to an extent against pros. When you look at his frame, he's you know six foot seven, a, a really solid athlete. He passes the ball really well. Um, and then when you think of the potential in that ceiling, you look at his deficiencies. And so he wasn't a great shooter when he was here. He never demonstrated that. And he also wasn't a good defender. And so when you look at potential, a lot of scouts will look at, does he have the potential to be a good defender? Well, his frame and his athleticism would lead you to believe that maybe he does. Um, he has demonstrated, you know, the, you know, to be able to shoot the ball in a streaky fashion. He's very much a streaky shooter. So can they, like the Pelicans did with Lonzo, sort of tighten up that shot and make him more consistent from downtown? It's very possible. And so when you, when you talk about ceiling, that's what you're doing. You're, you're refining those sorts of part of, parts of his game. And because he's a, he's a big point guard, you know, he's a guy who you can put the ball in his hands and he can go out there and make mistakes. And, and that means that he can learn from those mistakes and get better. And I think that's what Michael Jordan and the Hornets are sort of hoping for. RJ Hampton was another player we saw in the NBL playing for New Zealand. Were you a bit surprised he slid down to pick 24? I was surprised he slipped that low. You know, his range was always interesting. It was maybe between 10 and 20 in my mind going in. Um, but it, it was it was a weird draft too. You know, a lot of those picks in the 20s were being traded or at least being shopped. And so to see someone like him who, you know, I don't have that doesn't really fit in any mold, right? He's a, he's a unique guy. He's a, you know, is he a point guard? Is he a shooting guard? How well can he shoot it? Guys haven't, you know, NBA scouts haven't really seen enough of that. And so it doesn't, it didn't completely surprise me that he had, he fell uh, to an extent. It surprised me that he fell that much, but you know, going into the draft, I, I looked at the nuggets as a team that could have used someone like Josh Green. And I think there are some similarities between Josh Green and RJ Hampton. So I, I think the nuggets are a really good fit for him too. He can go in and, and be a guy who can play multiple positions off the bench for that team. Were you surprised Green got picked up before RJ Hampton? You know, when you look at the mock drafts across the board, you, you would be surprised. But from the NBA scouts I spoke to, I, I spoke to a few who had, from teams who had picks in the 20s, and they were not confident that Josh Green was going to be there when they were going to pick. And so when, when I, I gathered my intel, there were, a lot of teams were really high on Josh Green. Some teams had him in their, their, their lottery, right? And so there was a, a, a group of, of scouts who were really high on him and, and thought he had the ability to be a good NBA starter. And so uh, am I surprised based on, you know, the, the public perception of mock drafts and whatnot? Sure. But from speaking to people, I'm, I'm not completely, you know, startled by it. You know, it, it does make sense. There's, a, there's some reasoning there. Obviously, it's great for the NBL to have Lamelo and RJ Hampton playing this season. And there's, just take us through what this means for the league. And obviously, we're going to see a few others uh, in the competition next season as well that are uh, coming over from the US. I think it's... it's it's awesome for the league because when it was happening, you know, it was the adjacent effect that it had, right? It was just, it was the fact that when LaMelo Ball played against the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, the NBA scouts who were watching LaMelo Ball also get a good look at Mitch Creek, right? And it was that sort of, you know, flow over effect that was really the, the value in this league. Um, put us, and, and that's just putting aside the fact that crowd numbers were up and, um, you know, the online streaming numbers were also, you know, really incredible. When it comes to this season and what it means for the guys this year, I think immediately someone like Josh Giddy, who is out of Melbourne, he's, playing, he's going to play for the Adelaide 36ers, had some really good hitouts in the 36ers preseason game. 
And if you're looking at him as a potential comparison with LaMelo, you know, the games aren't too dissimilar. You look at what LaMelo did in the NBL and, and he was able to become the top three pick. If Josh Giddy can do something relatively similar to LaMelo Ball, and Josh Giddy is, you know, a better defender and, and a, a bigger guy, he's six foot eight, then you think if, if LaMelo can do that and be the number three pick, if Josh Giddy does something closer, what pick can he be? So I think having that context there is really important for NBA teams to look at. Is it right uh, the Warriors, one of their second round picks, Justinian Jessup, will be playing in Australia next season? That's true. So I spoke to a source late last night who said that Justinian was in quarantine when he heard the news, obviously, that he was going to be drafted by the Golden State Warriors. And and I'm told that he will remain in Australia. He's he's signed with the NBL's Hawks. Um, The expectation was that he would sign uh, with the hope of a team drafting him so they can stash him. Right, teams draft and stash all the time, and so that was almost a valuable part of you know his recruitment, where a team knows that they can sign him, and he's already stashed somewhere pretty reliable, which is the Hawks. And so the expectation, and it's it's what Justine is going through now, is he will remain stashed for the Hawks. And so I, if you're in Wollongong, don't don't worry, he got drafted by the Warriors, but he will be playing for you guys. And just a couple of the Australians that nominated yesterday that didn't get drafted. One of those was Sam Froling. What does that mean for them? What's next for them? So basically, they go back to just being really good pros. And so Sam Froling is one of them. He plays for the Hawks as well. Quat Noy was another. He plays for the Cairns Pythons. And so they didn't get drafted. It's not the end of the world. You know, they can still, let's say next year, they can try the summer league circuit, right? They can still go into the G League if they want, if they want to be closer to the NBA. You know, NBA scouts who, who were looking at them, they're still looking at those guys. Just because a guy doesn't get drafted, that doesn't mean the NBA dream is over. You know, we, we've seen, you know, players like Joe Ingles do that sort of thing. Aaron Baines didn't get drafted. He, he went to the NBA out of Europe. And so that's what these guys are going to do, just continue, like, continually forge a, a pro career, prove themselves, and then try to, try to get in there as a free agent. And just finally, before we let you go, do you, do you put a line through the Golden State Warriors now, given the injury to Clay Thompson, the seriousness of that injury? Does that, does that rule them out from being a contender? It's, it's, it's really early to say, but it probably does rule them out from being a title contender. I, you know, they're trying to make a move now for, for, Kelly, Oubre, for Kelly Oubre, and so they, they will still have pieces, right? They, have, they still have Steph Curry. They have Draymond Green. They just drafted James Wiseman. So there are really good pieces there, and I, I think – those pieces are good enough to make a decent playoff run. Um, without Clay, though, you know, arguably, you know, one of the best shooters of all time and a really good two-way shooting guy, it, it's really tough to see them going all the way. It, it's, it's really unfortunate, but that's just the reality now. Yeah, really disappointing. Great player to watch, uh, Clay Thompson. Olgan, uh, thanks for your insights after a big day at the NBA draft yesterday. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Olgan Ulich from ESPN chatting about the NBA draft. Now, I was waiting for this one to come through on the temper text once we started talking basketball. All playing for the Larry O'Brien Trophy, Julian. I'm sure you remember seeing that. Cheerio to Aaron Baines and Paddy Mills, of course, my two great mates. Uh, from the San Antonio Spurs, uh, jump on the line, one 736 736 uh, We'll play JDS's quiz after the break. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.